The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source can be found at www.sourcechurch.net. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, she went and met him, But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away this stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Our merciful God, we thank you for these holy words this morning. As always, we ask that your spirit would be our true teacher and that our lives would change because of what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. In Dostoevsky's 1866 novel, Crime and Punishment, the lives of two individuals become mysteriously interwoven. One is a destitute young woman driven into prostitution in order to feed her younger brother and sister. The other is a law student and amateur philosopher turned axe murderer. In the midst of all the darkness and chaos of these two lives, at one point the story of Lazarus is read, and a trace of hope pierces the plot for the very first time. Other authors, too, have found stunning power in this narrative. Herman Melville, Mark Twain, T.S. Eliot, just to name a few. But you can't really appreciate the full impact of this chapter until, like Dostoevsky's characters, you view death as both deserved and inevitable. Most of us feel like we understand that death is inevitable. After all, it does seem that very few of our great-grandparents are around. Even so, many people still reveal that they can't truly sit still with death's inevitability. Some people try to mock death by either by celebrating a gory Halloween or by living as thrill-seekers and risk-takers. Other people try to keep up a flawless fitness regime or um, just such a frenetic pace of life that their minds aren't able to sit still with the thought of death. And nor should we, in one sense, accept death. It is, after all, deeply unnatural. It's not how things were supposed to be. But the longer we live, the less escape there is from the very dark elephant in the room. Now, other people can accept death as inevitable, but never as deserved. To those people, people with unswerving faith in the inherent goodness of humanity, in other words, people who haven't studied much history or spent much time with a two-year-old, people who think that people are basically good, then death to them is evidence that God is either greatly limited in power 
or he's non-existent, or maybe he's a cruel jokester. And when you feel that death is patently undeserved, then you don't respond in panic or frenetic energy like the death ignores, but rather you respond with depression or maybe with rage, like Leonard Cohen's final song, You Want It Darker, which basically calls God capricious and immoral. Against any of these approaches stands the Bible, the one book most broadly disseminated throughout millennia and throughout the world. And it consistently portrays the reality that we're all complicit in a cosmic rebellion and we've fallen under a worldwide curse. Something is deeply wrong and we are not somehow outside of that problem. So the long and the short of it is that we are all like criminals on death row. But like people who grew up in a crime family, we don't feel like the bad guys. Yet in our moments of clarity, we know it's true. I have sinned, and I must die. And that's exactly where our text this morning speaks good news. We're finishing our mini-series on the mission of Jesus, and today we end with the declaration that Jesus came to conquer death. The scene is late in Jesus' earthly ministry. He's developed a close friendship with a certain family, a brother and two sisters. But strangely, when he gets the news that Lazarus is sick, Jesus doesn't seem that concerned. He says to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And the next verses confuse us even more, drawing this conclusion. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so... Don't miss this. It's emphasizing a logical connection. He loved them so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because of his deep care for this family, therefore Jesus is not going to go with all haste and heal the seriously sick man. Despite all the times when Jesus had healed people of various diseases, Sometimes with just a word, sometimes without even needing to be physically in the same place as them. Could he not do that right now, especially for a friend? This account reminds us that God is getting after something much bigger than our physical well-being. He has plans that will grow our faith and the faith of others. Plans that will recalibrate our notion of goodness and further shake us from the grip of evil. But when disease comes knocking, or grief that feels like a million little deaths, we still scratch our heads at verse 6. He loved them so he stayed where he was. If Jesus has the power to stop death, if, if death is coming for me and for those whom I love, how does Jesus love me? If Jesus came to conquer death, how can I trust that that's true and real for me when things like this happen. Well, three times in this account, Jesus' motives are going to be questioned, and three times he responds in different but cumulative ways. He displays his light, his presence, and his power in these events to confirm the death of death in him. After the two more days, Jesus announces to his disciples that it's time to go to Lazarus, and he gets a little bit of pushback from them, because after all, the last time he was in town, a mob tried to stone Jesus. So they ask, are, are we really going back there now of all times? 
And Jesus tells them, he says much more than this, but to make it brief, he says, I'm perfectly safe until my appointed work is done. And that includes the work of Lazarus. Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. So in addition to his love for Lazarus' family, we also have the good of the disciples in play through Jesus' timing here. The apostle Thomas still seems a little bit unconvinced, and he says with resignation, well, let us go also that we may die with him. So they take the two days journey to where Lazarus' family lives, and they learn that Lazarus has now been in the tomb for four days, four days. That's not a throwaway detail, because among the rabbis of the time, there was this tradition that after death, the spirit lingers around the body for three days before definitely departing. So with that folk tradition in play, um, four days, this means that by everyone's most conservative assessment, this guy was really dead. And Martha is the first one out to meet Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is there a not-so-subtle rebuke in her comment? Jesus, you didn't get here soon enough. And we can trust her. We can, we can forgive her um, for thinking that, right? Because Jesus' timing, given the circumstances, it seems dubious. We can forgive her that. And she also seems to have great faith. She states that even now, God will grant whatever Jesus asks. But it's also worth asking, how deep does that faith really go when in verse 39, she then argues against opening the tomb because of the smell? So Martha's complex in that way, and, and we can be just like that, right? We know intellectually that Jesus can do whatever he wants to remedy a situation, but we kind of guard our hope against any wildness by retreating to conventional expectations. And so when Jesus assures her, your brother will rise again, she replies by agreeing, yes, Lord, uh, he will rise again at the end of time, just like the prophet Daniel promised for the people of God. But she completely misses the fact that it's the presence and the command of Jesus and not the timetable of history somehow apart from him that decides matters like this. Of course, what Martha is saying isn't irrelevant. Jesus taught the resurrection himself earlier in John 5. He said, An hour is coming when all who are in the tomb shall hear the voice of the Son of Man and come out, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of judgment. But here, regarding her own brother, Jesus wants Martha to latch on to an even more immediate hope. He wants to teach her that he's not simply a miracle worker. Martha needs to learn that what Jesus can accomplish for her is not her hope. Jesus himself is her hope. When he is present, then our comfort and joy is no longer waiting around for the end of time. It's not just pie-in-the-sky sort of blind optimism. It's a transformed life now because of the one who guides you through the valley of the shadow of death. So Martha can't just put Jesus in a box and predict what will or won't happen. This has to be navigated through dynamic relationship with the living one himself, not simply by checking boxes in a doctrinal system. And this all Jesus communicates by dropping this stunning declaration. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
So the resurrection isn't an event, or at least it's not merely an event. It's a person who is the source of that event. And if he is present, then he is more than able to bring that future reality of life forward in time and drop it right here for us today. He's describing resurrection living in the kingdom of God as something that continues even as it passes through the discarding of this corruptible body. And the gift of this kind of life is a primary focus of the Gospel of John. He's writing so that by believing we can have life today in Jesus' name. Well, Martha takes in all that he said, and with as much understanding as someone could have before the cross and Jesus' resurrection, Martha boldly replies, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And with this confession, Martha has moved into a state of life that will continue eternally, and, and death itself will not interrupt it. This resurrection living, it starts now for those who receive it. They are joined to the eternal one. And they partake even now of that which satisfies without end. What about you? Do you believe this? When loss or suffering comes, do you reach for truisms and conventional categories in order to come to terms with your grief? Jesus provides an answer that transcends all of your previous categories and definitions. He, author he offers Martha and he offers you this light that you need to grasp and experience resurrection living today. So we change scenes, and next we see Martha's sister Mary coming for a similar encounter. And notice that Jesus sent for her by word of Martha. That's a great reminder to us that our Lord often took initiative, and he sought out those who were most hurting. So if that's you today, if you are most hurting, I want you to know that he cares. And that even this worship gathering today is a way of him calling you to himself. Mary is clearly distraught. She's in no place to discuss theology with Jesus. She falls at his feet. She's lamenting and or accusing with the same words that Martha used. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We can be just like that, can't we? When the losses of life overwhelm us, we have no appetite for hard questions or for sound explanations. We just want to know that the God, if God is supposedly in control of all of this, if he sees us and he knows us, does he care? Does he care? Mary needed to come to all the same logical conclusions as Martha and maybe she already had, but right now she doesn't need to be reminded of truth. She needs to know that Jesus cares. And he's deeply troubled. And, and then when he sees the tomb, Jesus weeps. In spite of it being his decision not to come earlier and save Lazarus, he still weeps. In spite of the knowledge that he has of what's about to happen, he knows it's all going to be okay. He still weeps. And here we see that Jesus is present with his friends. He's weeping with his friends. He doesn't try to bring reason to their grief. He just joins in it. It is sad. There should be no death in this world. And we see how Jesus loves his friends and disciples, and that's emphasized again in chapter 13. And it's emphasized even more with the events of the cross. The cross would show 
that this man of sorrows was deeply acquainted with grief. And his solidarity with sufferers is another answer for those who question Jesus' willingness to conquer death for his people. Where Jesus is present, as with Mary here, there is resurrection life to be experienced as he walks with you through the tears to what he's preparing for you next. Well, now for the third time in verse 37, Jesus' care or ability is doubted with some of the crowd cynically asking, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And we can doubt like that too, can't we? How many times does Jesus still receive critiques like that? If your God is, is so good and so powerful, why are his people suffering and dying like this? But we've already heard an answer with Martha that Jesus himself is the source of life in any circumstances. We've already felt an answer with Mary that Jesus knows our grief and he enters into it. And now we're going to see an answer. We're going to see a dramatic proof that Jesus has the power to give this sort of life that he claims to give us. So they open the tomb. And Jesus, he doesn't have to prepare some magic or perform any rituals because he has authority. He simply speaks and life comes to exist where there previously was none. And that really shouldn't surprise us because we know that all things were made through him in the beginning. So here we have a foretaste of the coming new creation. Jesus simply commands and the dead rise. And you can imagine the shock and the fear that would have gripped the crowd in that moment with this previously dead man stumbling out in his grave clothes. And then Jesus, by his word, he, he, he tells them to unbind Lazarus and let him go. Lazarus is unbound from his grave cloths, and I think that's a visual for how you and I are unbound from the grave cloths of sin, both decisively as we come to Christ and finally as we put off this corruptible body and wait for the glorious one. Well, Lazarus' resurrection, as astounding as it was for the people in that time and place, it was the lead-up for a much greater sign and miracle the resurrection of Jesus himself, the Christ. And the tomb that Lazarus came out of, that was very much like the tomb that Jesus would be buried in very soon. Lazarus emerged with the grave cloths still on him, but when Jesus rose from the dead, the grave cloths would be nicely dealt with already in the tomb. Lazarus would rise to die again. Do you ever think about that? He had to go through it all again. But Jesus rose to never die again. He was the first fruits of a new humanity. And it wasn't just one man's resurrection, but it was truly the resurrection of all who are united to him by faith. He rose, and because of that, we are all Lazarus. We are all Lazarus. We were dead in our sins, but the risen one called our souls out of the tomb he gave us resurrection life, and he is preparing for us a glorious future, body and soul, without stain or corruption. So let's end by returning to that news flash with which we started, that you, like Lazarus, are sick. I don't know when, but you are going to meet the time when your request for a miraculous out is not granted. As Jim Morrison observed, no one gets out of here alive. 
And even before then, you will mourn for great losses, or you may die a million little deaths through the uncertainty and pain that comes with something like cancer treatment. But you can experience something other than despair or desperation because eternal life starts today for those who know Jesus, the resurrection. What does resurrection living look like? I could answer that many, many ways. But one sure mark is a seemingly reckless hope in people who are otherwise very much grounded. Um, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, he was recently a, a guest preacher at my friend's church, and in conversation he revealed to my friend that he'd been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And my friend responded, oh, Dr. Carson, I'm so sorry. And he replied, why? We're all going to die, you know. And then he leaned in and, and with a playful sort of grin added, it's nothing that a good general resurrection can't cure. Jesus came to conquer death. His light, his presence, his power are available to those who belong to him through faith. And if you're a Christian today, then it's time to remember that he is the resurrection and eternal life starts today. Okay? So stop living and stop talking like death is the end and not the doorway to all of your greatest hopes. And if these thoughts are new to you today, if these thoughts are new, then I want you to look to Jesus, the risen one. Because he can give you deep purpose today. He can give you deep joy in the midst of sorrow, seemingly endless loss. If you turn to him as not a means, but the only end worth having, well then you can face anything. You can face this sickness of life in a cursed world, and it will be for your greater joy and for the glory of God. Let's pray.